Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rate That Album, uh, where two guys, myself and my cohort and colleague, Joseph Fremming, dive into music albums and uh, give our uh, information about the album, go into kind of the history, things of that. But before we get to that, Joe, sir, how are you doing this evening? I am doing fantastic, Paul. That's good. That's good. You know, the world's on fire. We have a global pandemic. And, you know, people are still worshiping Trump. And it's just, uh, it's the dumbest timeline I think I could have ever stumbled into. They made him a golden statue, Joe. Nothing bad ever happened to the Bible when worshiping a golden statue. (laughs) Some of these people have had to watch Dogma and saw the same thing happen, right? (laughs) The movie's cow. I think most of these people, if I remember correctly, were protesting, and uh, Kevin Smith was brilliant enough to dress up as one of them and protest with them. (laughs) There's actually an interview of him being interviewed, uh, a video of him being interviewed while he was out protesting with protesters in his hometown um, of Dogma and being interviewed by the news. Yep, local yep. station. <laughs> yep, local station. <laughs> so, quick answer is no, I don't think they did because they were so offended by it. But again, alas, we are, as we've talked about many times, in the dumbest timeline that could possibly timeline. Enough <laughs> of the, the suits in Washington, Paul. Let's talk some music. Please and thank you. Um, we this is a different uh, episode. We're doing a twofer. You're getting two for the price of one with this one, um, mostly because the two things that we the albums that we looked at were EPs, and EPs are traditionally short, and we didn't want to just give you guys a short album. So we talked amongst ourselves and said, you know what, let's throw another another shorter album on top of that. So today you're getting polar opposites. With Matt Pond's PA uh, EP of Winter Songs and Morbid Angel's second studio album, Blessed Are the Sick. Let's start with Matt Pond PA, shall we, Joe? Absolutely. Matt Pond PA um, is a New York-based band that formed in Philadelphia. There are basically three main members of the band now, which is Matt Pond, Chris Hansen, and Sean Alpe. But they have well over over 20 members that have been in the band since 1988 to now. They are still putting out music now. But in 2017, um, he said that he was uh, going to uh, retire the Matt Pond PA, but would continue making music. Um, And as of 2020, he brought back Matt Pond PA. So this has been like a pet project from Matt Pond. How familiar are are you with him? Not very. Okay. No. And we'll. I think we'll talk a little bit about kind of the hype around this EP. Around this time, there was an. What's that? What year are we talking about, Paul? So this album came out in two thousand five. January, very early January 2005. And they had an album beforehand called Emblems, which got a lot of um, college radio play and 
you know, was kind of talked about uh, among kind of the who's who's in Hollywood and in um, kind of the film industry because stuff on that album, and I don't know exactly what what's what for that, um, caught attention. And soon afterwards with this EP, songs were being used for commercials and going forward, Matt Pond had a very successful, in a way, for writing songs that were picked up for various um, soundtracks. This EP is only seven tracks long, and it's filled with four covers, three original tunes. Joe, I want to get your impressions of what you got with this EP. This it's funny you brought up the soundtrack. This sounded like the soundtrack to every indie hipster movie that came out in the mid early to mid two thousands. <laughs> like you know, like little projects that like what comes to mind is like the movie The Baxter with like Michael Showalter. Like just like you know, it just reminds me of like a sad guy in New York who gets his heart broken. <laughs> like it just. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many movies like that, or even like a Wes Anderson movie, and it's just like, yeah, this is definitely fits into the soundtrack of that. And for the most part, I liked it. For the most part. There's two th- two songs on here I felt were completely unnecessary. Ooh, okay. On a, on a seven-song EP, having two songs that are unnecessary isn't necessarily a glowing review. I want to point that out. What were the two songs that you did not care for? Well... So what I do like about this, you know, there's a lot of good songs on here, but when you cover, you choose cover songs, it's tough. Uh And there's bands that really don't ever need to be covered. Uh, Obvious, most obvious ones are like, you know, the Beatles. Uh, Yep. And oddly enough, I throw into that category would be Neil Young. Yes. Uh, He he does his arrangements. Mm really well the first time around he's not like bob dylan bob dylan's arrangements are really almost second thought so that's why the covers of his music tend to be a little bit better like all along the watchtower and whatnot uh neil young does it right the first time so when you get winter long it feels like this is a song that didn't need a cover yep and in the same vein neutral milk hotel does not need to be covered (laughs) Uh, and on this album he covers in the airplane over the sea their gel and their cadence in the vocals and all that it just it really should only just stick with that band Uh, doing a cover of them like i can see it live being a little fun because you know like you know a lot of people love nutribilk hotel and i'm one of them yep but on a uh for recording i would just completely shy away from it 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 you're and a reason why how much are you going to add to it and with with matt pon pa he they added almost nothing to that so i i'm always amazed at how in sync we are when we come to these because those are the two weak ones to me as well and i do you know neil young yeah you know you don't cover neil you i've done neil young live um on in a band before you don't stray away from it, though. You do it verbatim. You know, um, 
It's just not something that needs its own spin on a Neil Young song. I just, I'm in agreement with that. And same thing with Neutral Milk Hotel, the way that you describe it. I also, oddly enough, I know they're very different, but I put them in the same category as Bell and Sebastian, which is they do their own thing. They have their own very unique sound. And I've thought over the years of trying to cover a Neutral Milk Hotel song, a Balance Sebastian song. And I've always been like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it anything like it should be done. Like, it's just, there's things about that. And you're absolutely right. There are bands out there that don't need to be covered, shouldn't be covered. And I felt those were the two weakest ones as well, which goes against my theory of track three being strong. (laughs) (laughs) Track three was not very strong. No, it was, and especially that song, again, Neil Young, he's so particular with his arrangements mm-hmm. that it's really hard to cover uh, mm-hmm. and cover it well. Like, I can, outside maybe, I think, uh, I can't, it's hard for me to even think of people who've covered his music and did it to a point where I thought that it was good. I can almost say no, there's none. I can't think of any Neil Young cover I like. Uh, it's just, it is a hard, and the same with Neutral Bell Hotel. But on the flip side of that, the other five songs I really do enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Matt Pond really grew in popularity because the first track, Snow Days, which I think is a very strong opener, um, got used in Starbucks commercials. And was playing, he was putting his um, this EP out in Starbucks. Uh, so yeah, I think that there uh, that there was, you know, there they are really good. Even the instrumentals um, with it, which was the next song, song two, uh, which was uh, Fall yeah. Two, and then Winter One Two. I I like yep. the instrumentals a lot, too. a lot, a lot, and. I said I was familiar with one song on this album, and that was the Lindsey Buckingham cover, Holiday Road, which I adore. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, you don't, I mean, it's even weird to think of a Lindsey Buckingham cover. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, if you're going to cover, like, most the obvious choice, like, go to the Fleetwood Mac well. But... since I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I'm not even super familiar with Lindsey Buckingham just because I'm, when it comes to Fleetwood Mac, I'm a Peter Green guy in that era, like the blue, the dirty blues stuff. Mm-hmm. Not a big fan of rumors and all that. Uh, but I will he, say I'm the opposite of that, but go on. Yeah. But the obvious choice, you know, you'd probably go to something from rumors or, you know, there's seventies, like the Stevie Nicks Buckingham era. Like that'd be the obvious choice. So the fact that he went with holiday road mm-hmm. was like, I think it was a pretty smart cause you're going with a song that not a lot of people know. And well, some people know, but not as well as I don't know. I mean, that song was huge because of national lampoons. I mean, People of our generation probably, but younger generations maybe don't know it so much. Yeah. But still, it's, you know, I I think it, for a cover, that one was, like, more appropriate than, say, in cover Neil Young or Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah. It yeah. felt like more in the vein of this album, too. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, Winter Songs, I think, is an appropriate title for this album. 
in listening to it, I was driving around um, in the car and it just, yeah, I, I pictured this was something that came to his mind, probably on a tour bus somewhere where it was cold and snowy. And these songs just formed in his head because this, just like we talked about with um, American Head being a winter album, this is truly a winter EP. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it works, but like the two things that stick, like I would like, if I was going to like listen to this again, I'd probably make a Spotify mix and just do it without winter long and airplane over the, over the sea. Now, what did you think of the incredibly, what I felt of, of, of all of them was a weird band. The cover even weirder than Neil Young and neutral milk hotel was the Linda and Richard Thompson cover. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. I liked it too, but who covers Linda Thompson? But here's the thing. Cover something that's outside, you know, cover something that's a little different, you know, mm-hmm. same like, you know, the weird choice of Holiday Road, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but if, you know, if you're going to cover Neil, you just, you know, it's, if you're going to cover something, go out, I'd say go outside the mainstream. Like, that's why like, back in the day when I used to go to Fish concerts, they would cover like bands that were not like Fish. Yes. And that was a lot of that that makes it a lot more fun, I think, because they they add a little something different to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say uh, I want to, you know, again, to me, the highlight of this is is the holiday road. That's that's me. Now, I am big in the Lindsay Buckingham. I have all of his solo stuff. Um, I modeled my own guitar playing after. Lindsey Buckingham with not playing a pick and because I was enthralled at the, when, when I learned uh, that when he was fired from Fleetwood Mac, they had to hire two guitarists to do what he was doing on one guitar. People couldn't do it. And so I am absolutely in love with Buckingham. And when I first heard this, um, when I, you know, when I, I found out about this cover, I was like, oh, God, this is going to suck. And it's so different and in such a different vein, and it slows it way down. And the production throughout the entire album, I would say, or EP, the production is really top notch. Um, I, I really like the little sounds and inlays they do on it. Um, and I could see where Snow Day is very commercial. It's, but it's indie commercial, right? Snowday is actually my favorite song on here. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's my number two. It's my number two, which is interesting because I probably don't go towards commercial music. Um, not because I'm against it or like I'm uh, instantly biased for it. It's just, I have my own, again, my favorite musician is Frank Zappa. So I have a completely different view of music than most people. <laughs> Um, but I was really drawn to that one as well. Um, I'm glad we picked this EP. Um, and you know, this was supposed to propel the, 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 the album emblems. And then this were really supposed to push Matt Pond PA into becoming a big thing. Uh, the, the, they came out with an, um, with another album afterwards called several arrows later. My understanding is. I don't know if it's Matt Pond himself, if it's other artists going into other things, 
but there's a lot of turnover in Matt Pond, uh, PA. Like I said, there's been over 20 past members, which I think is what keeps holding it back is you have these other people that are involved in a great album. And by the time the next album comes out, you have a new drummer, a new bassist or a new guitarist or a combination of all three. Um, I guess is because there's bands that I like that have had large turnover that's mm-hmm. successful. I'm wondering if this, like Matt Pond, this is kind of like a Nine Inch Nails situation. Like Trent Reznor's infamous. Like if you look at the band list that's been, of people's been in Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. it's staggering. Uh, same with like a band called like Pig Face. Pig yep. Face. Pig uh, Face. Just, just you know, everybody and their grandma's been in Pig Face. You know, El Jorgens, <laughs> yep. Trent Reznor. Like, yep. Yeah, and I think that's kind of it. And I think I get the vibe. I get a, a, a indie Trent Reznor vibe when I look in the Matt Pond that this guy's some of a perfectionist has what he wants to have, wants to do what he wants to do, and if people aren't for it, he can get someone that will do it. Yep. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, where you now you go, uh, man? Where, what is Matt Pond doing now? Uh, Matt Pond uh, created his own label, um, One Thirty One Records, and. Um, has really been pushing and working on um, other getting other artists out there uh, on on the labels and uh, doing those types of thing. Um, it was released in in uh, 2016 from a desire to retain complete control over his music. Um, he uses Patreon uh, to allow fans to interact and contribute and support them. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just that guy. He is that guy. And their latest uh, album was Songs of Disquiet, released in August 7th of 2020. So, Matt Pop's doing well in terms of um, you know people using some of his music for movies. Um, there was some songs that were used for Delivery Man with Vince Vaughn. Um, you know, another, and other songs that have just been kind of taken over the years and, and you. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's not hurting. He's doing what he wants to do. And I don't think he gives two shits. And I think you really hear it on this EP, what he thinks people want to hear. He's making music for him and that's all that it matters. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I do. I like it. Um, and, uh, like I, I completely agree with you. Make a, make a playlist of this one, remove, uh, the the track three and the final track, track seven, and I think you got a solid, solid EP. So, anything else you want to discuss about this particular album? No, I think we covered it. Okay, let's dig into our second album, <laughs> uh, which is um, a complete another contrast. Uh, Blessed are the sick. By death metal band Morbid Angel. Joe, what were your thoughts on Blessed Are the Sick, Morbid Angel? I am very particular when it comes to metal, mm-hmm. uh, especially this kind of metal. Uh, and there's things I really like about this album, but for me, there's a lot that's wrong with it. 
<laughs> um, mm. And a lot of that, I'm particular. I'm very particular with metal music, especially when it comes to vocals. Uh huh. And if they if you're sounding like you're vomiting in your own mouth, like all the time, mm-hmm. I'm tend to I t- I typically shy away. It's just not my my particular taste is not with that, and that's what we kind of have here. Mm-hmm. And I also my other big complaint is the tracking of the drums. It sounds like Lars Ulrich on Sane Anger. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, because I felt the same way on this one. I was like, man, this is good, but Jesus, the drumming needs some work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the drumming bothered me more than the vocals. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, yeah. when, this was like recorded, what, in the early 90s? and it, This you know, was recorded in 90, well, it was released in 91, so you could say it was recorded in 89, 90, in 1990. Well, yeah, it, it, there's no excuse for the drums sounding this bad when, you know, Led Zeppelin could do it in a, mm-hmm. a, a mobile studio for Led Zeppelin 2, still be able to get those really nice drum sounds. This just sounds like a guy hitting a fucking uh, trash can. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's something uh, I love speed drumming, but this is not speed drumming done right. Um, in, in my regards, it's just speed for speed. And there were several times in the album where I was taken out because I felt like, whoever mixed it didn't catch or didn't care that it went off beat for a little bit on some of the songs. Cause it does, it does go off beat. And I have an issue with that. I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to that. As someone that written their own music, I've scrapped songs before because I just could not get the beat to match. Right. I was like, Nope, 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 Nope. I'm done. I'm not even going to, I'm this song to me. That's a sign that the song does not need to be recorded. So I'm throwing it out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Morbid Angel. So Morbid Angel, uh, we, it's funny because, again, we talk about, like, you know, what the band called Death, right? <laughs> they, they formed in 1983. Morbid Angel did. And uh, the original member, Trey, um, as I cannot pronounce his last name, so I'm not even going to try. Um Vocalist and bassist Dallas Ward and drummer Mike Browning. Um, those are considered, is widely considered one of the most influential bands and important to the transition of death metal from its thrash metal roots. They were one of the first bands to incorporate the vocals that we're talking about, the ump tempo blast beats, multiple tempo changes, as well as the lyrical content that is death metal or you know, black metal. Um they have been described as, quote, the most influential and emulated bands in death metal alongside Obituary, Death, Cynic, Autopsy, and Decide. Um, and a lot of bands really, um, in, in that genre, um, really, really, really hold Morbid Angel to a very high esteem. Morbid Angel got um, really their first, first exposure um, by having the song A God of Emptiness shown on Beavis of Butthead. Um, and their first three albums, Altar of Madness, Blessed of the Sick, and Covenant, are considered absolute classics. And 
Um, their first album is rated uh, Altars of Madness in the top 40 greatest death metal albums of all time by Decibel Magazine. And with tr- the guitarist Trey being number one for death metal guitarist ever. Um, you know, they are the third best-selling band after Cannibal Corpse and Decide. Um, and they were really one of the first ones that were really focused on Satanism, occultism, and anti-Christian um, subject matter. They also bring in Sumerian mythology, Necromance, uh, Simon's um, Necronomicon, as well as um, lyrics about H.P. Lovecraft. They also later uh, really got into lyrics about the um, Roman Empire. Now, with this particular album, main composer Trey dedicated it to Mozart. Uh, (laughs) And really felt that this was a ode to Mozart. Joe, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, the instrumentation, sans drums, mm-hmm. I thought was fant- phenomenal. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my sticking point, and it, it, this is also like when you, you, the vocalist, in my opinion, doesn't. I don't like it. Really makes it hard. Like I have the same thing with like Slayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Araya's vocals, I can't fucking stand, but sure. I can listen to the music. Yep. Uh, you know, and there's just, you know, for me, like, there are metal vocalists who can kind of, like, balance between these kind of worlds. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Phil Anselmo from Pantera. Yep. He kind of walks that line between, like, kind of, like, not exactly, like, Morbid Angel, but, like, getting kind of more of the gruff vein of that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of like my sticking point. Uh, it's just, and again, it, that's just my personal bias. Like, I'm sure, you know, lots of people love this band. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to agree with me, and that's all right. I'm just, I'm bringing my point of view to this. <laughs> yeah, no, and absolutely. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Um, for, when I'm very picky about my death metal, and I'm very much into the classics. Um, you know, I am a fan of Morbid Angel. Um, I'm a fan of cannibal corpse and six feet under which fans of the genre will know i'm kind of cheating because chris barnes is in both cannibal corpse and six feet under um and but those are like my three that i hold all other death metal to is is those three bands now my problem with black metal death metal like you know thrash metal is and i i'll even bring up with I'll, I'll tell a story i went to went to a concert and it was headlining black sabbath it was second in line was pantera and third was a very unknown band called incubus um who were opening for those two bands to give you an idea black sabbath's first reunion tour 1998 i think it was 98 yeah it was 98 so we were juniors in high school and 98 incubus was not known (laughs) very well outside of certain circles um i 
fell in love with Pantera. That was really my first. I, I heard Pantera, but I was never like I never got it. And then I saw them live, and I was like, "My God, this is awesome!" And I went out and bought I bought the album there, and I was listening on the way back, and I'm like, "I don't like this," and it hit me. And this is something that I've had a real problem with is morbid angels blessed the sick has the same problem and i hope it's it's gotten it's gotten better over the years it has but the recording is too clean um it's too restrained you know you listen to it and you can tell it's there's this vacuum there there's this space there it the albums are too quiet they're too clean it needs that live. Like, I will buy any live Pantera album um, over any of their stu- uh, studio albums. And I've gone that way with a lot of death metal and black metal because it needs that extra noise. It needs those guitar levels and the drum levels and the bass levels to be all over the place. There's not the kind of music that should be boxed in and tracks that feel very uniform and very clean and that's my problem overall with the album is the production is too clean if that makes sense yeah i agree and i think metal too it's it's hard to really capture that on record especially with a band like morbid angel mm-hmm. which, you know, i imagine the live stuff's a lot wild and grittier a lot and better i'll tell you more up my alley and like like you with that uh black sabbath show a few years ago uh, when i was living in bemidji uh, Slayer came and it was Slayer, Lamb of God, and oh, Behemoth. Yes. And yes. Behemoth. I loved I was like live. I was just like, these bands are just awesome. And it's hit and miss when I then I went go and listen to their studio stuff. Like, huh. Yeah. It's really like a genre that like almost overall benefits better live. Yes. Uh, Lamb of God is another one of those bands that obviously is in very high esteem among those that love the genre, including myself. And I am the same way on that. If there's a live version, if there's like a live and there's a studio and I'm going to get the same song mixes, I pick the live. It's just the way it goes. Um, You know, there's artists I'm the very opposite of. Uh, uh, There's certain ones I'm like, you don't want their live stuff. Um, but when it comes to these bands, I think the energy that they thrive and the crowd and that noise and that ability of being able to have it at higher levels than some stiff guy sitting behind a music board is going to allow them to do is really what's missing. I think you know, it's become div- very uh, divisive, uh, but the Metallica Black Album used to be universally loved, and as... Metallica went a sep- went their weird way. Um, I'm of the camp that I don't like the direction they went after the Black Album. Um, I could see why people look at that as like the focal turning point, but the way that that sounded, it had that space, it had that live, it had that grittiness to the album, and I wish more of these bands would allow that to happen when they record these studio albums. And it's hard to capture. It just really is. Mm-hmm. Sure, that that live essence. Yeah, and so overall, uh, you know, getting now getting to it, Joe. What were your highlights from Blessed of the Sick? So, all right. So for me, there are some highlights. 
uh, it's kind of hard with the tracks just because like I find some of the stuff distracting. I found the, the one, two punch of blessed are the sick and leading the rats mm-hmm. I really liked that overall. And it was like the one track where I didn't feel distracted by the vocals, the drumming still, <laughs> I mean, they just didn't track it very well at all throughout the whole thing. That's just bad. It just wasn't good. Uh, and then, like, there was, like, the weird interludes. Yes. That I, I kind of liked. Uh, Doomsday Celebration I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Desolate Ways. And I, I think mostly because it was just kind of different feeling. Yep. But I- at the end, I did not like in, re- in Remembrance. I thought it was kind of hokey as a piano outro. <laughs> Considering it's just like this was like kind of like in your face, kind of like, you know, aggressive. And it's just like, you know. Yeah, why ended on a soft note, <laughs> but yeah, but like, yeah, blessed are the sick and leading the rats. I thought were, was a really awesome, uh, really awesome one, two punch. That was probably my favorite. So uh, and then and the little interludes, uh, again, it was like, it's overproduced at times. Uh, mm-hmm. especially, and here's the thing, even though I like those two songs, it ends with a flute. <laughs> yes. And yes. that really kind of upset me for some reason. <laughs> Let's see. Like, are you fucking Jethro, Jethro Tull all of a sudden? What's going on? So, I, I, I for me, I love, um, honestly, and I know a lot of people are going to hate me and go, you're not a real death metal fan. Believe me, I am. On this one, Desolate Ways is one of my favorite tracks on this thing. So much so that I was... It reminded me of Randy Rhodes' um, D in, in its in its own right, and it was that track that made me realize just the technical and creative talent that's in this band. Um, the you know I think that's something that's sorely overlooked when it comes to heavy metal is these guys are talented, very very talented. It you can't just pick a I mean, you could pick any fucking asshat off the street and make a punk album. We know that because of the Sex Pistols. Um, <laughs> you can't pick any asshat off the street and make good death metal. It takes talent. Um, I learned Death that Desolate Ways was one of the first songs I learned in tablature when I picked up the guitar. Um, and... Uh, I absolutely love that one. Unholy Blasphemies, love that. Love that song. Um, it's just so in your face. Um, and to think that it was a 1986 re-recorded demo song. I'm going to repeat that. Unholy Blasphemies was recorded in 1986. <laughs> you know, again, we couldn't have a band named Death. How many years... Uh, 10 years earlier, but we can have unholy blasphemies and morbid angel and cannibal corpse and another band called death come out seven years later. Um, just a travesty. Well, yeah, the guitar work on this is just phenomenal. It just, mm. it, that struck, that was like what stood out to me. And I, like, I enjoyed all of that. And the bass work I liked bass works and, so good. Yeah. It's like in the arrangements, for like uh, you know death metal, you know, like you said, they're ta- they're kind of changing like time signatures or whatnot. It's just it kind of feels 
at times like you know kind of like how classical music goes like through different uh feels yep they i feel like they did that really 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 well yeah and that's why you know when i asked you like oh, how do you think about it that's dedicated to mozart and i my personal opinion is yeah I can see exactly why this was dedicated to Mozart. It's just because it feels like kind of like you can hear that classical music inspiration. And I, a lot of that, you hear a lot of that in some of like a lot of metal. Yes. And if you listen to Randy Rhodes, like not even just the D acoustic, but like just how he arranged things for like Blizzard of Oz, mm-hmm. very inspired by classical music. And I think that's something that gets lost on on your average person uh, that's not into these type of things is that I've I've drawn a a very uh, definitive line between classical music and death metal, heavy metal, black metal. Um, The way they go about it is very, very similar. Um, I I don't care who you are. I think most death metal... um, members are fans of classical music and vice versa i i do i i because it, it is the the arrangements that they come up with um <clears throat> you know you look at what's his name mario batali uh, no um that's uh that's the chef what's it? mario angelo who plays the double-headed guitar uh for nitro he was in the band nitro right uh yeah michael michael angelo uh, Bato. And he is known, this guy had a four-headed guitar on stage at one point, hoisted, so he could flip it and play whatever. And if you don't think that there's classical roots in what he was doing on there, um, you're fucking nuts. Um, So, And it's interesting, metal is like one of the few genres that actually, I feel, kind of carries the torch of classical. mm -hmm. Like maybe some... Maybe, you know, if you're getting into prog, I can see it. But, like, metal really, like, kind of sneaks it in. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think, for me, it doesn't sneak it in. It's, it's, for me, it's very in your face because I see what they're doing. And I'm a big fan of both genres, honestly. I can, I can go. Like, that's why I enjoy, like, Desolate Ways. and in Re- I actually enjoy In Remembrance. Um, I think that was a nod in a way to them. I don't know if it was a knock or a nod to Faith No More um, because Faith No More's epic came out two years before this album did. So I'm sure he was like, oh, he, Matt Pat, Mike Patton's going to play piano? Fuck that. I'm going to show him I can play piano. Uh, that's kinda, <laughs> that's, I just I just envisioned that in the studio, right? Um, and, you know, going from like Rebel Lands to Doomsday Celebration to Days of Suffering, I could see where some of your... Uh, some fans would be turned off by this. What is this? They're doing this. What is this light garbage thing? But you can hear those arrangements just sped up in songs all throughout the album, you know, like Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, now, um, which, so you like Blessed of the Sick, Leading the Rats, you like Desolate Ways, um, and Doomsday Celebration. Yep. Um, yeah, you know. the organ, man. I just, I, lo- I like, like, when you, I love it when bands throw me like a curveball like that. It's just like, mm-hmm. I like that. You know, <laughs> maybe I'm easily amused or whatnot, but fuck it. <laughs> yeah, no, a- no, absolutely. And I and I love that when you know when you hear these things, and that's why it didn't bother me when I heard the flute and they became all Jethro Tull. I'm like, they're showing off that so, they're serious musicians. The flute was too much. 
All right. It's too much. <laughs> All right. Like your metal, like act like your metal. Creepy organs are okay, but a flute, come on. Like now you're just showing off and it's not impressing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this is the one point we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one because I enjoyed it because once again, I think this was more Trey showing the critics that this is what we can do, but we love making death metal. If you wanted me to write, you know, wanted me to be Jethro Tull, I could be Jethro Tull. If you wanted me to be um, Liberace, I could be Liberace. Um, but this is what I'm fucking choosing to do. Um, so I, you know, for all the faults in the drumming, right? Like, I would love to see um, a, a reissue um, and a remaster of this if they're still around and have someone fix that drumming. Because I think if you fix the jump, the, the the drumming tracking, this would be an overall solid album. Well, I think the one I listened to was a remaster on Spotify. <laughs> Let me oh shit! Okay. Uh, I don't know if the one I, the one I listened to I don't think was a remaster, but I have I have an old CD of the the full dynamic range edition was the one oh, I listened to. Okay, nope. See, I have I have the old. Uh, um, well. Uh, yeah, I have the old uh, uh, CD. If it makes you feel any better, they didn't fix the drumming. And if they did, like, I don't want to hear the version you have because the upgrade <laughs> is pretty bad. Yeah, it's it needs it. It is the lacking part of it, which is unfortunate because drums, you know, drum and bass is uh, one of the you know, I th I, for any mu musical uh, endeavoring, is the base is the is the foundation, right? It's you like can't. It's like they put the mic right up to the drum set. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Give it yeah. give it some space to breathe and like get some fucking echo and shit on that. There is no echo. There is nothing. Like I said, it's way too clean. It's just like, oh my god, like I could tell this is in the studio. And when it comes to heavy metal, death metal, black metal, last thing I want to be remembered is that this is in a studio. Like, no, it needs to have its space. And in this one you can tell that the space is very um, oppressive on this album is the best way I can describe it. Absolutely. Um, so, all right. Well, still a shorter episode overall, but we've jumped through two. Um, you and I, you know, very, very similar uh, takes on this. Um, we have far better, bless us, it could be a far better album with better drums. And... Uh, you know, in comparison, you know, again, totally two different things that we listen to. <laughs> the uh, Winter Songs was very indie. You could tell it was very indie. Um, but that doesn't mean it's bad. So going to Matt Pompier, would you, you, you know, would you recommend the EP as a whole? Not as a whole. Okay. Like I said, the two tracks that I found distracting. Uh put it on a playlist and get rid of those two. Uh, I'd suggest listening to it, but just it's not really as a whole product. Those two tracks just really undid a lot of things for me. So if you're going to say as a whole, I would say no, but if, yep. I, if you want to take the individual tracks and put them the other two, the other five tracks and do any, Yeah, absolutely. Cause those are really good songs. I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. And for Blessed or the Sick, would you recommend that Morbid Angel album? 
it, it it's not my thing, so I would I'm not gonna be disingenuous. I I don't care for it, so I probably wouldn't recommend it. I mean, if you're a huge death metal fan, yeah. But I imagine if you're a death metal fan, you already already know this album. So <laughs> my recommendation really wouldn't alter your alter your point of view on it. But I, I I didn't I didn't care for a lot of it, so it's just not my thing. Like I'm very particular. Like the metal bands I listen to are a lot of droning and prog leaning. So um, I enjoy a lot of different types of it um if you are getting into death metal heavy metal black metal um any metal really i would recommend this album it is a classic um it's it's still rated one of the best you know it's always in the top 40 top 50 top 25 metal albums of all death metal albums of all time um morbid angel is really you know again a lot, a lot of the genre owes its roots to this. Um, this is, I would call it a blueprint to what is death metal, especially given what it was. Yes, um, you know, don't take notes on the drumming aspect of it or do take notes to go, that's not what we want to do, If you, especially if you're getting into it, like, say, a death metal band. Um, but I do think that the history of this album... Um, you know, the importance of this album um, and just of Morbid Angel in general, I would have to say I recommend this one, um, not even with a caveat. I, well, okay, the caveat is if you hate the genre, you're not going to like it. Um, but, you know, you, you just aren't. You're, you're not going to find anything in it that you're going to enjoy. As a fan of it, though, <clears throat> yeah, if you haven't heard it and you've only heard modern um, metal Give this a go and go back and check out bands like Morbid Angel, like Cannibal Corpse, like Six Feet Under, and you know Lamb of, early Lamb of God, and see really where it came from. That's my take on it. So first time I think we disagreed on an album, Joe. Yeah, it's all right though. Like, absolutely, know. absolutely. I guess I completely. Um, you know, I'm more into it than you are. And, um, you know, I, I kind of expected that, um, you know, each metal genre, just like any genre, really, like there's certain prog. I love prog, but there's certain prog I can't I can't take. Oh, God. Uh, so that Rick Wakeman shit, man. Holy fuck. <laughs> you know, it, you know, or, you know, if you want to go as far as uh, John Tesh, even I think he considers himself somewhat prog. Fuck that guy and his guitar. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah you know metal is, is so diverse and i think there's enough there's so many subgenres of metal like there's something out there for everybody yeah and this one just it you know i i appreciate the musicianship a lot like i really did it's just it's not something that is for me i mean if you like death metal and all that this is going to be up your alley so you know but for me like i i lean more toward you know like the mastodons and fucking the sword and weird shit like that. Like that's where I, that's the niche I fall into. Yeah. And I'll be on it. Like there's a lot right now of supposed hard rock, heavy metal out there that I can't stand. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it, you know, cause it's getting radio play. And that to me means it's not dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, with this type of thing, this, you know, mm, I come from an era 
and so do you, we, we come from an era where this was underground. Like you didn't let your parents know that you were listening to this shit. You didn't tell a lot of your friends that I'm listening to fucking morbid angel and, you know, bands of that nature. And, you know, it wasn't happy. Um, we'll get into that another time, but, uh, cause I'm sure we're going to hit, uh, we're going to hit an album that I put as the pinnacle. I know we're going to hit that album that I denote as the time when rock became shit. I know we're going to review that album because I'm going to bring it forward at some point. Read all right. Bill, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. Um, all right, Joe, what do you got going on? Plug time, buddy. Uh, so this week, the Joe down where we are releasing our review of this is the end. The Seth Rogen, James Franco stoner comedy about the apocalypse. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, you'll read it in the review. It's a hard one for us to review since that kind of comedy is already riffing. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what Brown and I do in the review. So it just, it that was a tough one. But I think it turned out pretty well. Uh, after that, we are doing Tango and Cash. Oof. Yeah. Oof. And then we're taking a hiatus for a while. Just because Ooh. work is getting a little uh, intense for Brown with sports. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you know. So we baseball have winter sports. Season. Yeah, we have winter sports wrapping up and baseball starting. So mm-hmm. we're going to take a brief hiatus so he doesn't get overworked. So, uh, so there'll be like a month where the only thing I'm focused on is you know our podcast. So that's hey, I'm I'm okay with that. I hope our <laughs> audience is okay with that. The podcast audience um, for us. Uh, on this side, um, we're going to do the second uh, um, cast that movie uh, coming up here in the next week or two. We'll be recording that. Uh, that is going to be the movie Bugs with Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd. And, uh, and uh, the turn of cartoon into a live action is going to be Codename Kids Next Door. Uh, so that should be an interesting, interesting one there. Um, I do plan on having the Stranger Things podcast up in a week. First episode of that that you'll be able to listen to. And um, yeah, other than that, uh, I think you know we got to sit down and figure out when we're going to start Parks and Recs. Yep. And uh, yeah, so that's there's a lot going on there. So more podcasts for people. <laughs> Yes, yes, sir, indeed. And now <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about our next album. Yes, please. I'm curious to hear what you're gonna pick. This is an album you and I have hated since high school. Mm, I know where you're going already. Go on. Uh, it is the only album by this band. That I listened to once and refused to ever listen to again. And they're one of my favorite bands. Fuck, I know what you're doing. All right. We are doing A Momentary Lapse of Reason by Pink Floyd. Oh, it hurts. It hurts so bad. (laughs) I I feel like we needed a challenge again. Uh, Yeah. And this is an album that uh, I could never, ever get into. Uh I think people who enjoy it are lying. <laughs> I think people who say they enjoy Gilmore, Led Floyd, Post Waters Floyd are lying. 
because it's not that good. But yeah, we will be revisiting a momentary lapse of reason. Uh, the original. I know they did like a reissue with more of the contributions by Nick Mason and Rick Wright, but uh, we're gonna I'm, not let, I'm not letting Gilmore rewrite history with his bullshit. So we're going with the original. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, no, let's not let him rewrite it because, yeah. Uh, so there's a friend of mine. I'm sure he listens to this show. He'll know who he is. I'm not going to call him out by name, but you know who you are, uh, who absolutely loves this album and loves um, uh, Division Bell, considers those the, the best of Pink Floyd works. And this I, a liar, a damn I, liar. I sometimes feel like he makes that point to be difficult and to have debates on. Um, God damn it. I haven't listened to that album in since high school. I don't think I've listened to that album. I listened to it once my sophomore year, Paul, and I was so upset and I've tried to listen to it over the years. I've like, I'd, I'd started and probably get like not even halfway through. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Turn it off. So I'll tell. Uh, I, I've always danced around this story. I'll tell this story. So I. <clears throat> Pink Floyd was one of the first bands I really got into. And it was because of you and your friends. Um, you know, um, I, 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 you know, was a big part of it. But it was always, you know, people talk about Pink Floyd. And my, my parents listened to KQ. Uh, as a you know, when I was younger, and they were always playing something of uh, Pink Floyd, but I never really, you know, I, I, I wanted to hear it. And when I first got into it, I was like, if I'm going, and I take this route with any music I get into, again, I know I'm very different. I don't go out and buy a a um or, or an album just to buy. Uh, if I'm really going to get into it, I'll buy, especially if there's multiple albums. I want to hear the history of the band. So I went out and bought Piper at the Gates of Dawn and then worked my way. I, I you know, looked up where there were, what their albums were in order and bought them in order. Sans the Japanese imports and the weird, you know, British EPs and things of that nature that were really rare to get your hands on. And it came to Mama Trey Laps of Reason. And I don't even think I listened to it all the way through. Like, there were songs I could not. I would just skip it. And then Division Bell was better. Um, but I had all these Pink Floyd albums. And I was dating this girl that knew I was very much in the Pink Floyd. And so for my birthday, what does she do? She buys me a Pink Floyd album, knowing I have all of them. Uh, or at least I thought she knew because she saw my entire thing. And I remember telling her, yeah, that's every Pink Floyd album. Bought me every Pink Floyd album. And I remember bitching to her about this particular album. And then she bought me that one. And I realized that she wasn't listening to a word I was saying the entire time we were dating. <laughs> and, um, we broke up shortly thereafter because that was like the, not because she gave me that album because that was like the, wow, she is not retaining anything in our conversations. Like this is not a good relationship at this point. <laughs> That so yeah, we ended up breaking up essentially over momentary lapse of reason. Well, it's a good album to really spitefully <laughs> dump somebody over because I would I would I would be irate if somebody gave me that. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was I, I was that, I hate that album so much. 
And like, let's be honest, not all the Floyd albums are great, but they have part like parts that I can appreciate. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that like, in the review. But like, even like Uma Guma, like there's oh. things like there's things on there. I'm like, all right, I I kind of like that, you know. Yeah, but Uma Guma is not a great album. No, let's also no. let's also put that out there. Seamus is not a great song. No, uh, <laughs> no, with Uma Guma, the live album that's with it is yeah probably Uma- like the highlight. Yes. Yeah. The live section of it's great. Um, yeah, we'll talk. Yeah. I think we could really dig in the Pink Floyd and, um, I'll let you have, you know, it's, it's your album. So I'll let you have the stage and let well, you we tell don't the- know a lot. It's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect lawsuit album. Yeah. <laughs> this is also an album that's a perfect example of, uh, why corporate rock should have died in 1979. <laughs> uh, completely, uh, completely agree. Um, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely get into that because yeah, it is for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, we'll tell you next episode that it is a lawsuit album. Um, <laughs> and it's a lawsuit album where many nobody, lawsuits. It's, yeah. Nobody was going to win on any side with this album. And not only that, it spawned lawsuits too. It, it was it, not even like a result of like a lawsuit. It spawned more. <laughs> it yeah. It spawned just... more. It really is a it really is a powder keg, this particular album of a Pink Floyd um uh drama. Yeah, it's it's the lowest point, I think, of the band. Uh yeah. Yeah, that's the yes. Yeah, from that point of view, yes. There is a spot that I think is another low point, but maybe not as low as that one. Yeah, but well, they had a lot of low points, but they <laughs> they did. Once you get the lawyers involved, and <laughs> it becomes just obnoxious, obnoxious to the point of like they didn't even like even start reconciling until like what twenty years later. Yeah, and even talking. then, would you even call it reconciling? Because I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, tolerating one another is probably yeah. the best. But, and yeah. even that's gotten ugly with social media. Yeah. And we'll, well, talk we'll get into about, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get into all. that when we talk because yeah, it's it's a bullshit album with bullshit intentions made by a bullshit bullshit leader. I'll just yes. leave it at that. <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to do it. Um, now I will make the audience a promise. I'll make you a promise. As much as I hate it, I am going to critique it fairly. Um, I will listen to each track. And I will put aside anything personal of it and try to review it on its own merits as best I can. So that is something I am going to try to do for for you and the audience next episode. Well, I'm a, I appreciate you do that with Gilmore's second worst solo album. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>